I'm Julia Lowey, and I'm a fearless yet optimistic woman in the field of architecture at San Francisco Public Works. San Francisco is so rich in architecture. I mean, it's just a tapestry, you know. But I remember when I lived here one summer, I just, I, all I did was go around and take pictures of doorways all summer. It's amazing architecture. And it's just a beautiful city. I mean, it's just, it's magical. I mean, I was only going to come here for two years. And then I was, I had this, like, you know, when you're young, I was going to come here for two years, work as an architect, and then move back to Oregon and kick some architecture butt, right? But then every once in a while, I'd go across the um, panhandle in Golden Gate, and it would be one of these crystal clear days. And it was so beautiful. You know, one of those days in San Francisco where the sun is shining and it's so clear and crisp. And I'd go, hmm, I think I can stay another 10 years. And that was like, I've been here 37 years now. I'm the principal architect and bureau manager for the Bureau of Architecture at San Francisco Public Works. I oversee all the architectural staff. We have to do projects from roof repair projects all the way to brand new buildings. So my goal when I started was to make sure that we get some really interesting, sexy projects as well as the mundane kind of waterproofing and roofing repair projects to keep staff motivated. I've been with Public Works nearly nine and a half years. I'm not sure how I chose the career. It kind of chose me in a way, but I think when I was very little, I was on a construction site with my parents that were building a theater and I was a toddler and I just really was excited and precocious child and I wanted to help. And I was, I think I was bothering the superintendent and I said, I want to help. Let me help. Let me help. So he gave me a piece of wood just to get rid of me and told me to take this piece of wood and move it over there. So I considered that my first gopher job. But seriously, I think I chose the career when I was in junior high school. And our social studies teacher had us going through this big A to Z career book. And I knew I wanted to do something creative. I really wanted to be a musician. I've been studying playing piano since I was five. But I didn't think I would make it. You know, so I wanted something secure, but creative. So I kept going through this book and I found interior architecture or interior design. And I thought, oh, that's very interesting. I really didn't have any idea. So I held on to that for a few weeks. Then something kept gnawing at me. So I went back to the book and I found architecture. And I said, the design of entire structures. And I got this vision in my head and I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to do the whole building. And so I stuck with that. And then in high school, I took architectural drafting. My first day, I walked into the class and it was a shop teacher. And he looked at me and he went, excuse me, I think you're in the wrong room. Home ec is down the hall. And I said, is this architectural drafting? And he goes, yeah, nope, I'm in the right room. And I was the only woman in the room for three years. Then I got into architecture school at the end of high school. I kind of grew up in chaos. I was six out of seven kids. And my mom was working full time. And uh, my parents divorced when I was five. 
And my mom remarried when I was seven. And then she died in a car accident when I was 10. So that kind of changes you, right? She was a pretty strong woman. But after she died, I was raised by my stepfather and my step-grandmother, who had already moved into the house. Her and I were kind of like really tight, even though she was like 4'10", and I was really tall. And she had club feet, so she could never run. And she was constantly in pain, and she never complained. Our birthdays were like two days apart as well. But she grew up in the Depression, and uh, we called her Mrs. B. And she was one of the strongest women I've ever known in my life. Very stoic, never complained. And so she pretty much raised me after my mom died. And at one point she was cooking dinner for 11 people every day. So she was a really strong female influence. The other one was my grandmother, my father's mother. She was more like me. She was pretty funny. We liked to tell really stupid jokes. She was pretty hilarious and very strong. She also grew up during the depression and her, my grandfather, her husband, he only had a third grade education, but he was also very strong, built his house, built his boat, ran a business. But she actually had a college education when she was born in 1906. So you can imagine in those days. So that was pretty amazing. So those two women were pretty strong influences for me. I think what I've learned the most from my grandmother and my step-grandmother, Mrs. B and Bernie, was the meaning of respect, but also not to take anything for granted. The work I'm doing here is extremely important. I'm very passionate about it because ever since I was a little kid, I just love San Francisco. I'd never been here really until I got older, but I used to have a toy box. It was from Fisherman's Wharf even. But the work I'm doing here is giving back to the city. And I think my staff also motivate me because they are so passionate about doing work for the city, building buildings for the city, for the people. Like when you're in the private sector in architecture, like I've worked in the private sector doing multifamily housing, condos, you know, or high level resorts. And I remember when I got into college, I think I wrote this really corny essay to get in and said, if I design one building that one person goes into and is truly inspired, I will have achieved my goal. And then later I thought, now, how am I going to know that? You know, and then I realized, like, if you're designing really fancy houses, the only people that get to see it are the people that are living there or fancy condos or things like that. But in public architecture, everybody gets to see it. So when you're designing and building civic architecture for the people, everybody gets to see it. And the wonderful work also about here is we do so many different kinds of building types and we get to make a difference in the community. So like the new two new projects we're doing in the Bayview, it's like Southeast Community Center and the Southeast Health Center that just opened up. I swear that was one of the happiest ribbon cuttings I've ever been to. I mean, we've got a lot of great projects here. It's just amazing. We've had nine of our in-house projects open since I've been here in the nine years I've been here. And all of those projects, we've won 22 awards. So I think we're doing pretty good. As a woman in the field, it, it can be hard sometimes. One example was my brother was a contractor. So he put a hammer in my hand my first summer in college and had me doing construction on a housing project. And 
his boss, he was the framing contractor, his boss, his company was called Elmer Paul and Sons or something like that. And um, he went, as soon as he saw me on the site, a young 19-year-old female carpenter, he went, uh, you know, there's always a problem hiring a family. My brother went, well, you should know is the name of his firm, right? And he harassed me all summer long, checking every one of my hammer, you know, dents on the siding and everything. And near the end of the summer, I was nailing off a floor with a nail gun and he came up and pulled my ponytail from behind. And I had a nail gun in my hand. So I didn't do anything. It's okay. But, you know, but no, I took it. I just, I figured that, you know, he was, he, he's the one to feel sorry for. But in the field here in San Francisco, not so much, except I do remember walking on one of my first construction sites in Half Moon Bay and I was walking towards the project and I got catcalled. And that was funny because as soon as I got up to him, I told him I was from the architecture firm and their faces went really red. So that was kind of funny. I mean, I would say I was underpaid for about 20 years. You know, a guy walking by my desk one time threw a bunch of literally a bunch of peanuts on my desk and said, here, you work for peanuts. I remember working in one office and there was a couple of guys at the table next to me and they were yucking it up. You know, they knew I was within earshot and they said, you know, I don't mind working with women, but I wouldn't want to have one as my boss, you know, and I was thinking to myself, wait till I'm your boss. I think that we need to train women to be more assertive and architects aren't that assertive. I mean, we study nearly as hard as doctors and lawyers, and we actually are responsible for life safety as well. I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, you saw what happened in that condo in Miami. I mean, I'm very, very serious about fire and life safety for what we do because we inhabit these buildings. And yet we aren't very trained or very good about speaking up for ourselves, even as a profession, men or women. And women especially aren't really good about speaking up for ourselves as well. And I wasn't, that's for sure. I got better at it as I got older. But I do remember one of my reviews when I was like, 40. <laughs> and I'm sort of a late bloomer. And my boss looked at my salary because he was very, very impressed with my work. And he his face was like shocked. He, oh, we got to fix that. I think it just took experience in years. And a friend of mine said, you know, people will respect you more if you asked for more. Don't just expect to get it. I mean, I always felt if I really, really worked hard, that things would fall into place. But it's, no, sometimes you have to also work really, really hard and be talented and ask for it. Architecture traditionally is a old white guy's profession. It's absolutely true. And I'm a member of the AIA National Public Architects Committee and been on the advisory board for the last five years. And when I started, we were all women. And now I'm leaving it. This is my last year because it's a five-year tour de force. But AIA now is really pushing diversity. So I'm trying to get a few of my staff because we have a very diverse group on it now. And I think I will. But it started going to be all white guys again. And so I think maybe this racial equity thing that Public Works is doing is amazing. And just having that conversation more and more and more 
And it's not always easy to have that conversation. And, you know, implicit bias is it's it permeates. But uh, you just have to keep having that conversation and getting it out there. And those difficult conversations get easier the more you have them. When I applied for this position, my husband was my biggest coach and he, cause he used to be a recruiter and he kept like, he would be cooking cause he cooks. I don't do the cooking. And he would, he would be saying, what did you do here? And what did you do here? And I would write out everything I did in my entire career. And so when I tell people when they get ready for an interview or do it, write everything that you've done in your entire career down and just answer all these questions for yourself. And it's empowering because at some point you're going to go, I didn't even know I did all that. Because if you've worked 15 years or 20 years even, and you're applying for a job, I bet you if you wrote all the things that you've done, you don't remember them, right? And so just write all your projects down and write all that stuff down. And then your imposter syndrome will subside a little bit. But I think everybody has imposter syndrome on some level. At one point in my career, it really clicked that I was a good project manager and that I, I understood it because it's kind of like air traffic control. What I learned here more is how to manage people, which is, a, is the same as managing projects. The biggest thing about learning to manage people is to listen, you know, to have empathy, put yourself in their shoes and, you know, understand them and give them support. You have to just encourage people. I mean, women or men. I mean, I think it's like my father-in-law, you know, he uh, he was a CEO and he even said to me years ago, he's like, you got to give five compliments for every criticism and compliment in public, criticize in private. You know, that's also, these are cliches, but it's so true. And you just have to continuously practice. People want to feel that they're doing good. I love this quote from Maya Angelou, where she said, I think it's, I'm going to paraphrase, but people won't remember what you do, but they will remember how you made them feel. Thanks for listening to Snapshots, a public works podcast.